Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. This is our 14th lesson working through the book of Ephesians. I hope that uh, you've had a good week. It's been rather wild around here. Normally, I record these lessons on Monday evening and uh, send them out, and then they get processed and sent out. Well, it is now Friday evening. Uh, we had power all week, but my in-laws did not have power. And so they've been living in our house from uh, Monday to Thursday. My daughter, who is a nurse, and her husband and their son have been living with us because they didn't have power. So we had a fun time around the house this week with a lot of extra people. Uh, we were able to uh, maintain our electricity. We had to do a little water boiling, but that's okay. So they, are, they have all returned to their homes, and so it's back to the normal family around here. So, last week we finished off chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. Now, if you remember, in verse 21 of chapter 5, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we talked a while about what that uh, submission meant, whether it means that each of us submits to each of us, or each of us submits to someone. And I said it's definitely the second one and some of the first one. We do submit to each other in that we surrender our will to do what needs to be done for the beloved. But still, the scripture talks about uh, submission to those in authority over us. And what follows after that are three examples of submission. We talked about the first one last week, which was wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. Today, we're going to look at two more of them. We're going to look at children and parents and employees and employers. Or if you want to actually put it in the historical context, it's slaves and masters. So what we're going to see is that these are three examples of probably many different examples about how we are to submit one to another. Now, last week's was marriage, and it's probably more important because we recognize that marriage is a picture. Marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. The wife is to submit to the husband as the church submits to Christ. And we talked about that. We talked about the fact that while uh, the wife is to submit, the husband is to love in a sacrificial manner. I've always told our mentoring couples that we love the word love, but we hate the word submission. In reality, I believe that if we truly understood what the sacrificial love mentioned in this passage meant, we'd probably hate it just as much as we hate the word submission. So we're going to continue today to talk about parents and children and employees and employers. Uh, I reminded myself, I've told you many times, that there are three things that I jokingly say I will never teach. I won't teach about marriage, I won't teach about parenting, and I won't teach about the book of Revelation. So lo and behold, last week I talked about marriage, this week I'm talking about parenting. Don't hold your breath about me teaching the book of Revelation. Now, it is interesting, as I said, it's been an interesting week because 
uh, we've had a house full of people. And normally I am prepared to teach the lesson on Monday. And given the fact that it's now Friday, I've continued to work on it. Now you might think that's a good thing. You know, a little bit more work is better. But at some point, it just becomes um, burdensome to teach the same lesson over and over in your head. And you've just got to get it out. So this lesson is almost over-prepared. So that generally means that it's not going to be very good. We'll see. But as part of that preparation during the week, I had a long discussion with my son-in-law about a certain aspect of today's lesson. My son-in-law is on staff at uh, his church, and so we had a long discussion about churches, theology, and children. And the question that I raised to him as I look at this passage is, how does this lesson, how does this lesson about parenting, um, how can I relate that to the sages, which is the class that we are in, if we were actually meeting in person? We know that we are the oldest class in the church. Most of you are not children. Most of you have children that are grown and gone. In fact, you have grandchildren that are grown and gone. And many of you have great-grandchildren who are grown and gone. So why am I sitting here talking about children to this particular class? So you are neither a child or a parent of young children. So what does this have to do? And... It, I kind of struggled with it because if you are a uh, parent and your children are grown, uh, hopefully, preferably, your children are living godly lives. And that's a great answer. That's yay. I mean, that's raha. I mean, but there's also the possibility that they're not, that they have fallen away from the faith or that they've made dis- life choices that you and I would disagree with. And it is the least of my desires to heap any guilt on you for the way that your children turned out. I know that when I'm talking to young fathers, I will tell them, you know, you've got to really work. You've got to do this. You've got to do because so much of the relationship of your children to God is determined by their relationship with you. And I do believe that's important. Whereas when I deal with older parents, that is parents with children that are grown, I also oftentimes have to remind them that at some point children do make their own decisions. And sometimes those decisions are good, yay, and sometimes those decisions aren't very good. And well, they made the decision. So nothing in this lesson is an attempt to heap guilt on you because your children uh, are not where you would like them to be. In the same way, we're going to talk about employees and employers, or as I said, in the historical context, masters and slaves. Many of us, myself included, are retired and we're no longer employers or employees. So what does this lesson have to say to us at our point in life? Well, let me give you the conclusion of today's lesson. That way, if you fall asleep or get distracted by something else, you'll know what the conclusion of today's lesson is. I believe that that verse up there that we just quoted about submitting ourselves one to another means that we are in some set of relationships with people. We have those that we are submitting to, and there are those that we have authority over. And in each of these relationships, we need to ask ourselves, what am I supposed to be doing 
in this relationship right now. If I am a wife, what are my responsibilities? If I'm a husband, what are my responsibilities? If I'm a child, if I'm a parent, if I'm a grandparent, if I'm a great-grandparent, if I'm an employer, if I'm an employee, if I'm a church leader, if I'm a civic leader, if I am a citizen, what are my responsibilities? And here's the answer. Do those things that God has called you to do in that particular place. We're going to see this in just a moment when the uh, verse is going to say, do everything that you do as to the Lord, not to man. That is a good general rule of life. So if I am a citizen, I need to do that as if I'm doing it to the Lord, not to please men. If I am a grandparent, I need to do that as I'm doing it to the Lord, not to please men. So, whatever the responsibility that you have, in whatever relationship you have, we need to examine what God would have us to do in that relationship. And this passage is giving three examples. Marriage, parenting, and work. But there's many examples. There's lots of examples. And we need to find what we are to do and do that. If you remember, I was quoting a book last week, the, the big thick book that talks about all the, you know, how to do whatever it is you want to do. And it says it is the pernicious submission of all societies. You have to understand this was written in the 1600s. It is the pernicious submission, subversion of all societies and so of the world that selfish, Ungodly persons enter into all relationships with the desire to serve themselves there and to fish out that which gratifieth their flesh, but without any sense of duty of their relation. They bethink what honor or profit or pleasure their relation will afford them, but not what God and man require and expect from them. And listen to this. All their thought is what they shall have, but not what they shall be and do. They are very sensible to what others should be and do to them, but not what they should be and do to others. This is how we enter relationships. What's in it for me? Biblically, there are responsibilities for everyone in a relationship. And I need to look at what I am responsible for. Let's look at last week's lesson. It would be easy, I mean, it is easy for me as a husband to sit there and look at, oh, that says wives submit. I need to beat Teresa over the head until she does that. But you know what? That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to love my wife as Christ loved the church. In the same way, it would be easy for a wife to say, well, I would submit to my husband if if they love me like Christ loved the church, which obviously they can't do, therefore I don't, well, no. Look at your responsibility and do that. Whereas our first care, back to the quote, should be to know and to perform the duties of our relations and please God in them, and then look for his blessing by way of encouraging reward. Study and do your parts, and God will certainly do is. So what is the conclusion of today's lesson? Do everything that you do as to the Lord, not to man. 
Whatever relationship you have, do that as to the Lord and not to man. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So, that's all the introduction. Verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's pretty simple. The words themselves are easy. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Well, first off, what does the in the Lord mean? Okay, Does it mean children obey your parents if they are in the Lord? Or does it mean obey your children because you, the child, are in the Lord? Or, yes, what it really means is that what God wants you to do is to obey your parents because of, what was the passage a while ago? Because of reverence to Christ. That's why we do all of this. That's why we do this. Not because my parent is perfect, but because Christ is perfect, because God is perfect, and God has told us to do it. So what does it mean to obey your parents? Well, that's really simple. Do what they ask you to do. That's the easy part. But we make this a lot more complicated than we ought to because we sit there and think, what if they ask me to do something which I, the child, don't think is right? Let's say that I'm a middle schooler and my parent has asked me to do something and I don't think it's right. What if it violates the word of God? What if it violates my understanding of the word of God? What if it's just something I don't want to do? And here's the interesting thing. Do we even know the difference between those questions? Do we know the difference between, I don't think it's right, I think it violates the word of God, it actually does violate the word of God, or I just don't want to do it. And I would contend back to the word submission that we hated so much. Why? Because we all want to be autonomous human beings. Even as a child in our society today, we are taught that you as a child should be an autonomous human being. You shouldn't let anybody tell you what to do. I'm always reminded of this in movies. There's scenes in all of these movies where some older child looks at the younger child and says, you're only doing that because your mother told you to. And they go, oh, no, no, no. And you know what my answer would be? Well, duh, of course that's why I'm doing it. If we ex accept the fact that the parent is usually more mature, more intelligent, more understanding of the way the world works. The fact that the parent instructs the child and expects the child to obey is normal behavior. But we don't believe that anymore. We don't expect that. We don't command that. I am reminded of a, an individual, a friend of mine, who was the children's director at some church that will remain, remain nameless. Um, and he made the comment one time that, you know, the children are, well, they just misbehave all the time. And the bizarre part is the parents think that's good 
Because we're taught that when you get out into the real world, you can put that in quotes, when you get out into the real world, you've got to push and be aggressive and you've got to break the rules and you've got to do what you think is right. And so we see this in toddlers and we say, ah, they're going to be their own person and they're going to succeed in the world. Here's the question. What does God tell us? God tells us, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Let's go on to the next verse. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It is interesting because verse 3 actually tells us what that promise is. If you go back to the Ten Commandments, and there it is, honor your father and mother. Why? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honor is one of those words that we use a lot, but we're not sure what it really means. To give honor to someone, to give respect to them. In fact, I have this idea in my head that sometimes we think that honor is just, well, it's not anything different than not dishonoring someone. So if I don't dishonor my parents, by definition, I am honoring my parents. But you see, these are actually the two ends of a spectrum. And in the middle, there's, well, there's just apathy. If I curse my parents, then I am obviously dishonoring them. And in fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, a person, a child who cursed their parents uh, was liable to be stoned. So obviously, in that case, I am dishonoring my parents. But if I just ignore them, I'm not dishonoring them, but I'm also not honoring them. Honoring is an activity in itself where you demonstrate respect for the person that you're honoring. Our society doesn't know much about really honoring people. Since we have very little respect for authority, we don't have any understanding of honor. To honor someone just because of their position doesn't make any sense to us. The word honor is used 142 times in the ESV translation of the Bible. Who does the Bible tell us to honor? We are to honor elders. That is both old people and that is elders in our church. Widows, parents, God, our masters, marriage. We are to honor everyone. The emperor, gracious women. That's what we are to, those are the people that we are to honor. But we don't know much about that today. What does it mean for a child to honor his parents? Well, back to verse 1. Children, obey your parents. If a child is living in active disobedience to the parent, the child is not honoring their parent. Now, two questions always come up in this discussion. One is at what age does this stop? You know, at some point when you reach adulthood, you kind of stop obeying your parents. You know, if you're a 30-year-old married person with kids, and your father says, I think you ought to do this, well, you may not necessarily have to do that. Now, I would contend, though, that we are to honor our father and mother for our entire lives. That honor 
may change in the way that it looks. It may not be the instantaneous obedience that we see in a young child that brings honor to the father and mother, but we are to honor our parents and take care of them. Remember that discussion. It's kind of interesting because the Pharisees thought they were going to trap Jesus. And they talk about, you know, the the disciples breaking the Sabbath. And he says, why do you break the commandment about honoring your father and mother? And what they've done is they've taken their wealth and they've said, oh, it's all dedicated to God for me to manage, of course. Therefore, I can't take care of my parents. And he says, you break the commandment of not honoring your father and mother. And I would contend these probably weren't young men, young children that he was addressing. So I would contend that we are to honor continually, but that the obedience expected of the young child will change over time. Now, the second question, though, that is always asked is, what if my parent tells me to do something that violates the word of God? Here's the easy answer to that question. Don't do it. We are instructed to obey our parents. We are instructed to obey our governing authorities. We are instructed to obey certain individuals up to the point that doing so violates the clear word of God, at which point we say, no. Now, you continue to honor even though you're not obeying their particular instruction. Now, what is my problem with that? Well, the odds are pretty good that if you're a small child, if you were a middle schooler listening to this, uh, there's going to be very few times, if ever, in your life that your parent is going to ask you, command you, tell you to do something that actually violates the Word of God. It could happen, but it's very rare. But there will be many times in your life where your parent will ask you to do something that you don't want to do. And we, in our nice 21st century minds, begin to think, God wants me to be happy. To be happy, I need to do what I want to do. My parent is telling me not to do it. Therefore, the parent is violating the word of God. Well, that's a bizarre train of thought, but that's the way our minds work. When I say that if what your parents are asking you to do violates the word of God, then don't do it. It's easy to take the next step and say, ah, therefore I get to decide whether I obey or disobey a particular instruction of my parents. No, it needs to clearly break the word of God. That's why I made this uh, distinction a while ago where I said it violates the word of God or it violates your understanding of the word of God. Because you see, I can understand the scripture in such a way that may be confused, particularly if I'm a middle school child wanting to do something real bad. So I need to take my understanding of the word of God and I need to present it to those that are in authority over me. Maybe a parent, maybe a youth leader, maybe some mature Christian. And you say, I believe the word of God says this. What do you think? But you see, if you really want to do it, you're not going to do that. 
You're going to do what you want to do, and you're going to say the Word of God is on your side. Maybe it is. Probably it's not. We need to investigate that. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, because this is the first commandment with a promise. Honor is to regard with great respect. As I said, our society does not put much value in honoring anyone today. So, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, the go well with you is uh, relatively easy to understand. If you do it God's way, God is going to bless you because you did it God's way. The second part of it, probably has to be understood in the historical context that the uh, Ten Commandments were given. Remember, the nation of Israel was in captivity in Egypt, and God sent Moses to bring them out. Remember all the plagues and all of that stuff? Bringing them across the Red Sea that opens, they go across, it kills the Egyptians. They come out into the wilderness. Moses goes up on the mountain. Now, the promise that has been given to them is that they will be given the land. Now, just think of this. You are a slave living in Egypt, and the promise is land that is flowing with milk and honey. And that is the fulfillment of all the blessings that God has promised to you. That's the context of this passage that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the blessings of God. So, you're a child, you are a middle schooler, you are a young adult, and you are told to obey your parents, you are told to honor your parents, and that by honoring your parents, things will go well with you, and you will live long within the blessings of God. Now, we're going to have a discussion in a moment about a question that I'm going to ask right now, though. Do you really believe that? Now, I'll give you the right biblical answer. God says it. We ought to believe it. God says it. Therefore, by faith, we ought to say, okay, I'm going to do it the way God has instructed me to live my life. I am going to honor my father and mother. Well, what if, what if my parent is just not honorable? I've talked to people whose parents were, are reprobates. I mean, they've done horrible things. They beat them as a child, etc., etc. And that is a difficult pastoral question. But the observation is you do not have to imitate them you do not have to follow them into sinful ways, and you do not have to praise their behavior to show honor to them. Now, it can be very difficult, but you know what? That's not the general situation. We need to honor those above us, our parents. We read the list a while ago. This week, we had my in-laws living in our house. And guess what? My obligation as a son-in-law is to honor them. When my father-in-law speaks, I listen. Now, I'm not necessarily going to obey everything he says, but I'm going to treat him with dignity and respect. And the same with 
my mother-in-law. So, what I found interesting is there's an old survey, it's uh, four or five years old, six years old, uh, by the Pew Research. And they ask um, parents, what qualities do you want to, to see in your children? And they ask these questions, and then they ask it based on your political leanings. So those who are liberal, those who are moderately liberal, in the middle, conservative, and really conservative. The really conservative group, the bottom thing on the list, they only listed the top five, the bottom thing on the list was obedience. 15% of them said they wanted their children to be obedient. None of the other groups even put it on the list. The number one thing on all the list is being responsible. And you know what? I'd go with that. Children need to learn to be responsible. They need to take care of their stuff. They need to take care of themselves. They need to be responsible. But God says we are to teach them to be obedient. And the hard part is to do that in a society that mocks the whole idea of being obedient to anybody or anything. So, the promise that we see from the scripture is that if you do this, things will go well with you. So, in the same way, in last week's lesson, when we talked about women, we also talked about husbands in marriage. We talked about wives, and we talked about husbands. In this passage, it talks to the children first, and then it talks to the fathers. I'm not sure why it doesn't include mothers in this list. There's all kinds of verses that deal with that. So we'll talk with the fathers for a moment, and we have one command. Now we have one negative command, and then the positive commands. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What are we supposed to do instead? Bring them up in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's look at these two things. How do you provoke your children to anger? Now, unfortunately, in our society today, oftentimes just telling them to do something they don't want to do will make them angry. And I don't think that's what this passage is talking about. To provoke your children to anger means to live your life in such a way that it exasperates, that it drives your children to anger. Why? Because you're not doing what you say you ought to be doing. You're trying to act like you're a Christian and you're not. And you are confusing your children and you're producing anger in their lives. Violent emotions that they don't know what to do with. And you as a father are not to provoke these violent emotions in your children. So when you present the gospel to your children, if they rise up in horror that you're doing it, it may be that they're just not responding to the gospel. It may be that they're responding to your negative example of the gospel. I told you earlier, right? And I tell this to every young man that I have the opportunity to tell. Statistically, a child's image of God the Father is going to be closely related to his image of his own father. I read a book years ago written by a very popular Christian author who um, had been abandoned by his father early. And this entire book 
dealt with this internal struggle that he had that he didn't know what a father was. He had no idea. And so when the scripture said, God is your father, that, it didn't mean anything to him. And I might add, while he's a very successful Christian author, he's also rather confused about what, who God really is. So if you as a father are provoking your children to be angry at their heavenly father, you are doing something wrong. But rather, you are to bring them up in discipline, that is, to teach them the way they ought to go. You know, we use the word discipline in a variety of different ways. You know, one way is they misbehave and I discipline them. I either spank them or I go make them sit in the corner or I take away some um, pleasure that they have. I discipline them. But we also use the word discipline to train someone. You know, an athlete disciplines himself. The coach disciplines him so that he or she is prepared for life. And that's what we as fathers are supposed to do. We are to discipline our children and we are to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. If you are a believer, if you are a believer, you shouldn't wait for a Sunday school teacher to present the gospel to your children. You shouldn't wait for a Sunday school teacher to explain the, the word of God to your children. Not that the youth director or Sunday school teacher are doing, they're doing excellent jobs. They are helping us do that. But you as a father are to instigate these conversations. You are to start them so that you can bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So how do we provoke? By presenting a bad picture of God the Father. What are we do, to do instead? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's back up just a little bit right there so that we understand what we were talking about earlier. The child is to obey the father. But what if the father isn't doing a very good job of bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? That's not the child's problem. The child is to be obedient to the father. The father is to teach their children the things of God. But what if they're not disobedient? I mean, what if they're disobedient? What if they're not obedient? Well, that's a problem. But you need to teach them and bring them up in the discipline. We need to look at our responsibility within these relationships. And I know, I know that there are many of you who have older children who you are concerned about are not, are not living lives of discipline within the instruction of the Lord. And as I said earlier, nothing in this lesson is meant to heap uh, guilt upon you for that. But remember, this is the instruction that we are to do for our children. I would contend that we do this even with our adult children, even though the style and format of it may change. You know, when you are a dealing with a child, you say, this is the way it is. But when you're discussing it with an adult, it may be more of a discussion. You may instruct them in the word of God by just casual uh, discussion throughout your life. So the technique may change, but we are still to encourage them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we finished off the first part of it, which is the 
parents and children. Remember, this is these are three examples given in the scripture to support that submit yourselves one to another. We did marriage, we did parenting, and now we're doing employer-employee or as I've said three times already, within the historical context, we're talking about masters and slaves. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God the Father. Now, the ESV Study Bible has an interesting comment about this passage. The principles in this passage apply today in terms of submission to any lawfully constituted authority, the only exception being if such a lawfully constituted authority were to require a believer to disobey God's word or fundamentally compromise one's commitment to Christ. That's exactly what we were talking about a while ago. So back up and what does it say? You are to do what your employer, your master, tells you to do. And you're to do it with a sincere heart as you would to Christ. Remember the verse that we talked about at the very beginning of this lesson that we're going to get to in verse 7? Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So I've got a boss and my boss isn't very good. Guess what? I had such a boss who wasn't very good. What am I supposed to do? I'm to obey my master and I'm to work with a sincere heart as if I were working for Christ. I mean, let's just put this in plain language. If Christ were your boss, how would you work? How would you do the activities that you have been instructed to do? Would you do them half-heartedly? Would you do them just to look good on the outside? Would you do it or would you do it with a sincere heart trying to do what the master would have you to do? Guess what? That is what God is asking us to do in every relationship in our life. But you know what? I don't want to do that. I just want to look like I'm acting. I mean, look like I'm working hard. I just want to pretend that I'm doing what you want me to do. Inside, I'm just mad as can be. I am trying to not do what you want while trying to look like I am doing what you want. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That fear and trembling means with respect, with a certain amount of awe and respect with a sincere heart. What is a sincere heart? Well, at a, at a minimum, it's not doing anything half-heartedly. Have you ever done a job half-heartedly? I have. I've done it a lot of times. You know, there's something I need to do, but I don't really want to do it. And I just kind of piddle at it, hoping somebody else will eventually do it. If I don't do it, well, maybe somebody else will. As long as I look good, for the person that's instructing me. No, we are to do it with a sincere heart as you would obey Christ. That is our standard. That is the criteria that we are to use in every relationship. Let's back up a little bit. 
Wives, submit as if Christ was watching. Husbands, love your wives as if Christ was watching. Parents, children, as if pleasing Christ. All of our relationships, everything in our life is to be done for the glory of Christ. Not to please some mere human, not half-heartedly because we don't really want to do it anyway, not reluctantly, but doing it as unto Christ. So, not by way of eye-pleasing, as just people-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Not doing it just to be seen, not doing it just to please people, but doing it to please God. To please God and doing God's will from your heart. We'll have more about that in just a moment. And verse 7 is, to me, one of the key passages, verses in this passage. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. We quoted this at the very beginning of the lesson. Whatever it is you're doing, whatever relationship you have, whatever position God has put you in, what does God want you to do in that relationship? And a lot of these, we don't have to make up answers. You're a child, you are to obey your parents. You're a child, you are to honor your parents. You're a husband, you are to do this. If you're a wife, you're to do this. If you're an employee, you're supposed to do this. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about the employers. If you're a citizen, if you're the leader, if you're the follower, wherever you are, are you doing it to please God, are you rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man? Knowing, verse 8, that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. God will reward you for everything good that you do, whatever your status is. And here's the question that I posed a while ago. Do we really believe this? My answer would have to be that I don't believe it a lot of times. Do I really believe that it is better to do things God's way? Remember our verse out of Hebrews when we worked through it. Without faith, it is impossible to, believe God, to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. So we have to believe that God exists, and we have to believe that it's better to do things God's way, or we are not demonstrating faith. Do you really believe that when you do a good deed, even though your boss is a louse, do you really believe that when, you're, when you do a good deed, even though your spouse is not doing what they ought to do, do we really believe that God will reward us? Maybe not now, maybe not here, but God will reward us. We don't because we lack faith. 
So the second question after do we really believe this is how would our lives be different if we really did believe this? If we really believe that in every relationship, in every position that God has placed you and me, that if I did things God's way, God will reward us. Back to our discussion we've had many times in the course of all these lessons. God has designed the world to work in a certain way. And when we followed that way, we are in a world that is conducive to human flourishing. But when we go do things our own way, when we say, I know God says that I ought to do this, but you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to follow my own way. I want to do it my way. I want to be an autonomous human being. Did God really say, Eve, you shouldn't eat of the fruit? And that's what we ask ourselves all the time. Did God really say, do this as unto the Lord? Or, yeah, I'll just go do it my way. Do we really have the faith to believe that in whatever state we are in, in whatever condition we are in, it is better to do things God's way? So, the instructions to the servant, to the employee, once again, there's instructions to the master. Masters, do the same to them. Do the same what to them? Not obey them. Well, the same rendering service with a goodwill as to the Lord, not to man. You are to treat the servant, the employee, the slave, understanding that they also are made in the image of God, that they also are worthy of the respect that God gave them. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's say, this isn't true, but let's say I am the head of a huge corporation. I have a hundred thousand employees underneath me. And in the eyes of the world, I'm up here and they're down here. I get all this money and they get, well, less money. Do you know what? I may walk into a business meeting and people will treat me with deference because I am the head of the company that I wouldn't get if I weren't the head of the company. But you know what? I am getting no deference from God wherever I am on the company chart of leadership. Why? Because God shows no partiality. Here he is talking to the masters. And once again, in the historical context, this is masters and slaves. In our uh, context today, it's employers and employees. That's why I read that passage from the ESV study Bible. This applies to every lawful authority in your life, as long as it doesn't violate the word of God. Remember that whether I'm here or I'm there, whether I'm important in the eyes of the world or not important in the eyes of the world, 
In God's eyes, the earthly standard does not make a difference. There is no partiality with him. Remember that the same God who is your master is also their master. There's an old Italian proverb that I've always liked. At the end of the game, the king and the pawn go back in the same box. The king and the pawn, the master and the servant, when they get to heaven, God is not going to show partiality based on your influence in society, based on your bank account, based on the number of employees that you have, based on your, you name the category. God does not show partiality. What God is going to do is judge you on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is what determines our eternity. So, what is the conclusion of this lesson? Remember, I told this to you exactly at the beginning, word for word. God has put you in some place in your life. He has given you a set of relationships. And the question is, what are your duties and responsibilities in each of those relationships? If you're a wife, if you're a husband, a child, a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, an employer, an employee, a church leader, a church member, a civic leader, or a civilian. What are your responsibilities? Do that. And when you're doing that, remember, do everything you do to the Lord, not to man. Why? Because God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do we really believe that? Well, the scripture teaches it to us, and the scripture is the word of God. So, what do I leave you with? Do everything that you do as unto the Lord, not to man. We have three examples given in this passage. Marriage, parent-child, and employer-employee. We could talk about dozens of others. But the same general principle applies. Do everything as unto the Lord. I will see you next week.